Hello, everyone. Welcome back to That One Blank Friend podcast. I am Sadia Rashid. I'm your host. Man, oh man, you guys, it's Mercury Retrograde. It just started a couple of days ago. Can you feel it? I don't know if some of you guys believe in all that. If you heard our last episode about my astrologer friend, if if uh, that is something that you partake in. But y'all, I'm feeling that energy right now. It's just everything feels very turned upside down and people are making really interesting decisions. And uh, I feel like everything I'm trying to get done right now is just hard. It's like wading through mud. It's so crazy. So yeah, I'm I I don't know about you guys, but I for me, I am just trying to push through right now. I'm just trying to make it to November. <laughs> I feel like we all are in our own way. We are just trying to make it to November. So that's that's the energy. I feel like it's it's in the air right now. Yesterday I had to actually be out and about and not at home. I got to run errands and be out and I had rehearsal for my show and everywhere I went there was a detour a delay in traffic it was just all of my journeys should have been so simple and they were hard they were not easy you know, I got lost one time, which for me is like getting lost, especially in an area that I'm familiar with. It's just very odd. So yeah, that's that's what's been happening for me this week. So I don't know if you guys are noticing that in your life, but yeah, I I definitely um feel that that mercury mercury retrograde energy just all around me. So I am just, you know, pushing through until November. Um, but until then, I am so happy to have our guest today, um, speaking to another fellow actress, Lindsay Corinne. And we are doing really a deep dive into mental illness and, you know, really talking about her journey. It's very uh, specific and very informed and very uh, courageous. I I love her to death. I haven't known her very long, as you'll find out. But she's one of those people that you meet and you're like, I want to know more about you. And you get to know them and you're like, oh, I love everything about you and what you stand for. And I just believe this conversation is just really brave in so many ways. So I'm so incredibly grateful to be able to share her conversation with you guys and for you to really hear just the depths of her challenges with dealing with multiple mental illnesses. So without further ado, uh, you know what? Let's let's just do it. Here we go. Here's Lindsay. Jazzy. Jazzy situation. Hi. I love a jazzy situation. <laughs> Me too. I love a jazzy situation. I love jazz hands. I love... I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, thank you for being here, Lindsay. I so appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. It's an honor to be here and to be asked. So thank you. You're welcome. Well, I like to start off with just kind of framing for the audience how we know each other, since this is called That One Blank Friend. Sure. 
So we know each other from acting class. We do. How we met. We were in our, before this whole COVID thing happened, we were in a Monday night acting class together. And I got to every week watch and see how incredible Lindsay is. Um, Back at you. (laughs) Thank you. And she got to watch and see how scared I was every time we did. (laughs) And really talented and incredible at what she does. I'm scared too. It's okay. We in this together. So we know each other from acting class. And honestly, with that, we don't know a whole lot about each other. Mm -hmm. But I found out recently, I found out two weeks ago, I think people were doing the challenge, you know, featuring women and posting their pictures. And I liked your picture. And I looked at the hashtags. And we had talked through Facebook at the beginning of this pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. because I found out through your stories that you had COVID. And I also had another friend that was dealing with it at that time. And I was like, oh my God, I can't hope she's okay. Anyway, this particular picture, you use some tags. And through that, I found out that you have... Or are now now I'm like let me make no it's okay crazy. no I have <laughs> mental illness oh yes um, but yeah she, you have illness. mental illness you have yeah. uh, bipolar two and PTSD yes ma'am okay so and a couple other things but that's that's in a nutshell the two I think the two that sort of said everything else <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna no. I was gonna jump yeah. right in please do and let's do it because I can talk forever I was gonna Thanks start again. with because now mentioning that you have those two diagnoses I'm wondering mm-hmm. which diagnosis was first the PTSD or the bipolar two well interestingly so a lot of folks it's it happens at different points in their lives different diagnoses at different points or whatever so it's not it's not always like what came first the chicken or the egg kind of thing gotcha. so for me looking back so i've had a a lot a few different a lot of diagnoses up until this point which all fits into eventually getting the fully correct diagnosis so one in five people on average have mental illness and there's a percentage that it's, there's an onset in children where you can see it. And looking back, I'm pretty sure that I, you know, that I dealt with it. It runs in my family. That was um, going to be my next question. Cause I, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, my mother had it very badly. She had so many different diagnoses and around my age, a few years earlier, which has started to progress to get worse for me, uh, was when it started to get worse for her. And so she like severe, severe depression. Uh, she was on multiple medications. She had over 70 shock treatments. Like, so my, my mom, so that's the kind of tree that I fall from more or less. Right. Um, my aunt was one of the first people uh, in college to, when Prozac first came out, she was one of the first people on that medication. She's still on it to this day. Oh, wow. um, on other ones, I have a cousin who uh, was hospitalized at one point when he was a teenager so it's, it's a, it's a, there is that genetic predisposition and things that they're trying to figure out. I have had a, certain people react interestingly when I've, it's almost like, I wouldn't say it's like coming out per se, but it's, it's a, because it's still such a stigma and it's a people are uncomfortable and whatever. I protect people from it, unfortunately, which is a little, it's isolating for, right? When you deal with something that's a chronic illness or any, anything that you just deal with, you, you know, trying to get to know people, but something that's such a huge part of your experience, you don't share, or if you do, you do it seldomly or just kind of, cause they don't really, even if they're like, you're close to them. And I've had, you know, I had a, a person who said, you know, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to see a scan of your brain or something like that when that's not really, 
I mean, you could, and maybe they, you know, they've done studies, a lot of research, and have been able to find certain things in the brain. So it's actually sort. Of, so I think to get at a certain point would be, uh, you know, what causes it, or if that's what we were touching on. There's a. Well, let's know. touch on because you said yeah. um, that there might have been a point when you were a child where you felt like there's a there's a certain onset when you are a child. So let's go. Which doesn't happen for everybody, but I okay. think mine was that's severe. Yeah. Do you remember that moment for you? I remember. Well, so there's. I think there's the genetic predisposition, and then there's like a shit ton of trauma. Gotcha. And when you bring those two together, I think it's just like a perfect storm kind of thing. And a lot of creative people tend to have uh, this kind of sensitivity. Robin Williams and Carrie Fisher and intelligent, creative people. It's a, there's so many, you know, studies and things, but I remember, um, I had a, a horrible bullying till I was about 16. One of those stories where, you know, it was very violent. It was pretty violent. And just since I was like in first grade, what's that? Bullying. Yeah. Yeah. Bullying in school. Yeah. 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 Um, and of course there were a lot of things going on at home that were very traumatizing and all those things. So it was just kind of coming at me from all angles. I was very angry growing up, uh, extremely irritable, very sad. I can't remember. I remember my grandma used to always say, you know, you're walking around with a scowl on your face all the time. All I would do was just scowl. And of course, a lot of times I feel like, you know, children are a product of their you know, environments. Like Absolutely. it just made sense to everybody. Of course, like I'm at least for me scowling. And then she would remark on how dark my poetry was and whatever. Cause I, was, uh, so did you have, have I guess, because of the bullying and things that were happening at home, you had a lot of pent up anger. You didn't have a way to, you didn't have an outlet to really express how you felt. You were just sure. dealing, you know, with it at, you know, and at, at that age, you said you dealt with it up until 16. Do you remember at what age the bullying started? Yeah, I was, when it really started, I was six. When I, a certain school district, it wasn't until I moved school districts when I was 16 that I started to make friends. I didn't really have friends. So it was between, it was, yeah. So when I say like when trauma and things, cause I would go home and my, my parents, you know, weren't doing well. I honestly, you know, just to be honest, since we're having this conversation and we're going to start with needs to be out there, you know, I would come home and cut furniture. I would, you know, there were different ways, you know, my mom tried to help me see, you know, different psychologists and things like that. But I will say per the, Per the mental illness and that piece, at least for me as a child, I also think that that exacerbated how I acted out or how I experienced things. I honestly can say on some of my most joyous days, um, and of course I watched my mother be in pain all the time and then she got really depressed. Um, some of my most joyous days that you would think are my most joyous days, looking back, I don't remember ever truly feeling that elation or joy. I don't, I can't remember just being happy really? or like having that feeling of joy. Like I, th there's things I enjoy and it's, it's fun and it's great and whatever. And even as, especially at this point, cause it seems to be, and I'm sure that there's other traumas that have made it worse today and it just gets worse as you get older. But so bipolar two, as opposed to bipolar one is you never get that full mania, that right. full, uh, it's hypomanic. So it's, it's sort of like you can be a little, the mania is a little bit more, you're kind of irritable, but you don't have that full 
mania of an elevated mood and you're impulsive and you're doing things, although being impulsive is part of what I, you know, deal with. And so it's a lot of irritability and severe, severe depression. Those are kind of my extremes. And so I think because of that, there was all these underlying things always going on, no matter what was going on. Right. So probably the bullying combined with, you know, what was happening at home with your Mm -hmm. parents, it sounds like you had absolutely every right to be angry, <laughs> you know, with- Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, being bullied. I, I was bullied at some point when I was I'm in- sorry school. to hear that. Totally. Thank you. But I, I totally, I totally get how that, I, I'm, it wasn't that long, but like, I, I get it. It stays with you forever, yeah, it right? Does. It does. Mm-hmm makes you sensitive to all kinds of things makes me it probably make to this day i'm nervous with my peers i'm never gonna not be you know like when we're even when we're in class right i would say absolutely i would say i you know because of that i do have you know adult as adults we're all working through our shit but i would say sure tied to the bullying i absolutely have issues with really trying to temper how I have friendships and mm. um, not being overly needy, but you know, and so there's there's this protection that yeah. I, I do yep. because when I was getting bullied, a part of the thing that I tried to do to you know help it is to what most kids do. I feel like is to be you know dig in and try to be their friends even more. And oh sure, you kind yeah. of become a little bit more of a you know punching bag. You're empathetic. Oh, yeah, sure. it really help. Yeah. You know, like I was like buying them gifts and doing like I was like oh, that. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Sure. You know? And so now I definitely see in my friendships there's a sensitivity for me if I feel like I'm not being thought of uh the way that I feel like or if I feel like it's one-sided. Um, mm, mm-hmm. I tend to, you know, I have a hard time expressing it and I just kind of shut down. Mm. So, you know, that's something I hear you. I'm definitely still working on. But yeah, well, here's the thing. What you're saying, though, too, is like a huge part of any of this mental illness, anything but is awareness. Like the fact that you can be aware of how you're responding to things is a huge, huge key in any type of growth, whether it is right. Physical, but just in general, spiritual growth, emotional growth, mental illness, anything you're dealing with. To have internal awareness is uh, so huge, and that's that's another that's a that's a that's another strong skill set, I guess, or you know, ability to be able to deal with you know anything. So that's on both our parts, I think, or on anybody's part. There's something to be said for that because I think it takes a lot of bravery to acknowledge what makes us tick. But it's it's almost I think like a little bit of a default when we own who we are. And we figure out what makes us tick, we're by default going to be better. So there's always that, like, what do I get out of it? Well, you're yeah. going to be a better, more loving, empathetic person. And hey, exactly. man, ain't that yeah. the point? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, that's the whole, you don't, you know, <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get like a thousand dollars. You get to be a better person and be aware of your, your shit. That's what happens. Right. I'm cool with that, man. Yeah. That's the gift in itself. A, yep. That's a great Oscar. <laughs> it's, a, it's the ultimate getting back to to the, so that that moment that you yeah. you had the anger you had the depression when at one point did it feel like it kind of came to like a head for you or where it it impacted your life on a daily basis i remember being in my 20s and i remember i was dating someone and i was maybe what 21 
something like that. She was 27. And, you know, looking back, you can see it in photos and like whatever. But I remember we were in Burlington, Vermont. And I went to undergrad in Vermont. And we were standing on a sidewalk. And all of a sudden, I just, I broke down and I just said, I'm an asshole. And it what was made you come to that realization? It was something. <laughs> What it was, was I realized that, you know, before then, I just, I had, I came up with an identity. I was like, I'm an angry person. That's just the way it is. I'm just, this is how I am. And I'm this and that, whatever. And I didn't really realize about, you know, the depression hadn't really gotten in. You just don't know. You're just living. And of course, your brain is healthier in your 20s. And, you know, I've gone through a lot more things. But I think me saying that was some type of insight into symptomatic behavior a lot of times of it at least for me is pretty heavy irritability or to sometimes control you know what would come out of my mouth or i would just have this like quick reaction of just anger and unkindness and like but which is so not me as far as i like i mean to that's live not and I, I go to acting right. class that seems so unlike you from what i right. know of you Right, which is why it was, I think, the first time I had insight into acknowledging that I do that, owning that, no, that's not who you are, and that something, it wasn't until a few years later that I started to go, something's not right. Like, what? this doesn't make any sense. When I started to really be like, because I got into a really, really serious relationship in my late 20s, we ended up getting married it started to come out more. It's kind of sometimes when you're in a safety, it was when my mom married my stepdad, maybe a, within a year of that was when she really spiraled. I think sometimes you can get into a safe space and you just feel like you're okay. And you right. can just, you know, you're just doing your thing. And when you're doing your thing, it's all of the things. So I kind of went on from that and start, sort of tried to kind of identify, you know, what those things are. It never really went away. I never really knew. I always, with my mom, I never really thought anything was wrong with me or wrong, quote unquote, not that, you know, there's something wrong, um, but it's just something that you really can struggle with. You know, I was, she was on a lot of medication, but I just never, I didn't, I believed in it, but I never thought I would need a medication or I just, I don't know, I ate healthy. I was, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. And I didn't get it until that it really clicked. It was a few years, a couple years into my, that serious relationship where I was like, am I possessed? Like, I, I knew I wasn't, but I was like, what in the world? Because my responses and reactions had nothing to do. So bipolar is a mood disorder as opposed to, and it used to be, um, the clinical term was uh, manic depression, but is now named bipolar type two. Um, and so I started to see a therapist and whatever. And then I started to, you know, delve into the relationships with my family and all of, all of that. And it wasn't until we got to Baltimore, we moved to Baltimore so that she could do a residency to become a physician, a palliative care physician, that I really started to see this is, it just kept getting worse. When I'm my uh, first antidepressant. Did the depression get yeah. worse or uh, worse? The, everything. The depression, so everything got yeah. worse. Well, it just kept getting more intense okay. in a way. You know, there's a lot of things that contribute. I mean, a lot of times when we're not 
listen, like I said, I validate everyone's experience. I know that when I feel like I'm not on my path or I'm not whatever, I know it contributes. Like life things contribute. Like people have life things. It's totally normal. But it was so, so significant that I started to seek out therapists and psychiatrists and I went on a medication for the first time. And long story short, I went on two antidepressants and I was on them for a couple of years they didn't really seem to help or they almost made it worse. And so I would say, and just to note, you know, that's different. I'm on a mood stabilizer now, which has been much more helpful. Right. So it always has to get adjusted. Was yeah. Depression when you were. So the, yes. Okay. So I've had those diagnoses. I've had depression, you know, the diagnosis, uh, PTSD for sure, which I have ADHD and um, PMDD, which is like a, premenstrual dysphoric disorder so they you know you get really 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 irritable but I'm sort of I'm on the pill now for that the only thing that's really helped me more than anything is is the mood stabilizer but it got to a point and I will tell you this that there are other things that trigger you know substances you know everyone has a different experience with marijuana and bipolar everyone has a different experience with alcohol and bipolar um yeah, it ended so up being work for somebody else with some like, for example, if one one person who is bipolar could be totally fine, you know, taking marijuana and, you know, using alcohol, but then someone else because of their I, I'm, I'm assuming I don't sure. know, scientist or doctor, right. but I'm assuming because of the brain chemistry, uh, yeah. it can affect someone else very differently. Well, it would be, I think if that was the case, be pretty rare. I think it's pretty much said and proven that alcohol exacerbates symptoms. Okay. Uh, it's also a depressant. Uh, marijuana, I have found, I also, I use, I use it in different forms to like, to help me sleep at night or, you know, to, with anxiety, but I can only do one strain, which is indica, if it is to help me. If I, if I, and just sativa, which is like the head high in any way, shape, or form, and it completely exacerbates my irritability symptoms. And I know that for a lot of folks, so there's this Facebook group that I follow through, it's a bipolar support group, but it's through Bipolar Magazine. I feel more validated, understood, known, seen, can just shoot the breeze. People will say, you know, what's your experience with this? What's your experience with this? Or this is how I'm feeling right now. And people just comment, comment, you know, you're, you're fine. You're loved. You're da, da, da. like, I just, and I, I have never been more comforted with this than by a Facebook page of people all over the world that I just don't know. So that's, that's how much this is like not known or understood. And it's hard too. Cause when, you know, you tell people who are closest to you, they're not going and reading about it so they can understand you better anything like that. And again, it's just, it's that, right. You, I'm sure you yeah, can relate in so many ways. Yeah. It's the difference. It's, you know, it's important to commiserate with people who have a shared experience. Sure. You know, and bipolar is that shared experience because right. I, hopefully this conversation brings awareness to the, the symptoms and dealing with it on a day-to-day -day basis, but in understanding, you know, how, you know, what mania is and what, how depression feels for you. Sure. But at the end of the day, that can't replace a shared experience. And I think that's why it's so important, you know, to support someone who has those illnesses. It's like, yes, do the research. Yes, read. Yes, no. But 
you know, there's just going to be that element because no one can be in your shoes. They can't, but what an incredible, just like sort of saying, and you're right, you're absolutely right. But there's also that point of, you know, just the, just the mere fact of saying that must be hard going millions of miles if somebody shares anything with you that's kind of, you know, vulnerable. Like take that 50,000 gazillion times a step further right. and say, you know, you're, say you're dating someone who actually is really, this is just offhand, but really into you. And eventually you get to a point where you're comfortable enough and you say, hey, this is something I have. This is something I deal with. I'm managing it. I'm in therapy. I'm on medication. I'm, I'm doing all right at the moment, so on and so forth. Man, if that person or whomever just went on Amazon and got, you know, it's just a book. That act, that is an act of just such empathy. Yeah. That's mind-blowing that someone would even remotely just validating people. And I think one of the greatest gifts we can give anyone is our presence. That's the whole point, man, is to just be present and to love. And um, I also wanted to, so I could finish answering your question real quick because I tend to go off. I So... So I was on the antidepressants and then we moved to LA because I wanted to take the leap and I wanted to fully engage in a television and film acting career because since I was, could breathe, that was the vision that I had even as a child. And so I knew it was a thing. Um, we moved here and long story short, I'm learning to, like if I, I may be, I'm probably saying things that aren't entirely accurate. I'm still reading and learning all about it and like, the whole thing and really embracing being part of the community and that kind of thing. My symptoms got to a point where I wasn't okay with it. I ended up, which everything there's sometimes there's a blessing, right. in things that are awful experiences and it ended up sabotaging. Obviously there's a lot of other things that go on and went on, but you know, I ended up getting a divorce and it was 2018. It's the end of February that she left And then two weeks later, my mother abruptly died. Oh, my goodness. And so one of the things with bipolar and with mental illness are triggers. Yeah. And I was already in a state of where I was mentally. I mean, that's the thing you can share with people. I don't want to, you know, terrify anybody or like, you know, things that I was experiencing and, and, and doing, you know, to me, I wouldn't wish on anybody and so that was already occurring and then the way I was told that my mother had died was traumatic my experience around flying home to be with her was traumatic because the person that I was going through the divorce with showed up and she wasn't necessarily being overly friendly and the whole thing I think now, was the now last. Now I'm mad at your ex because I'm like, well, why do you come? How did no, she go come no, to your he... mom's funeral? And not well, she just here. assumed. Like, that's the thing is that people don't, they can't. That's the thing. And you said, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Now there's a level of, I have compassion for people who don't have a huge empathetic muscle. Some people just don't have the ability to be like, oh, this is probably how this person feels right now or is going to feel if A, B, and C. Some people don't have that. You're right. I think it's rare, but it's, it's a thing. And if you know that about somebody, you have to sort of embrace that and be like, well, they're not going to change. And I just have to know that they're not going to know it's stinky, but it's, you know, so anyway, and the other, I won't be mad at her anymore. No, no, she's a wonderful, (laughs) no, 
it was tough. Listen, but it was what it was. It was, it made sense. You know, she, I mean, obviously she was mad at me. It's like, it's whatever. Again, not, not the right time. Um, but was what it was. I'm not, you know, I'm not mad at her either. She's an incredible human. We're friends. It's fine. We co-parent a dog. It's great. Um, (laughs) all of that that is a huge set of triggers. Like, so that was it. After that, like I was already severely, even before the divorce, like that was my symptoms leading up to it. Something was just falling apart in my brain at that point. And that was when the same age, my mother kind of, it just all came to a head because she was depressed for forever. And I, you know, in the depression, and I'll still get to these, these lows that are, if my meds don't get adjusted, I can't believe I go get to go that I end up doing the things I do. If I, I'm not right now, but I was waiting tables. I couldn't believe that there were days I would just, so it would be right up the street and there's a hill that you walk up to get, I would be walking to work just like, well, maybe I'll do it when I get home. Maybe I'll just kill myself when I get home. Maybe, you know, just tears running down my face and I get to work and then you're like, and everybody, and that's the thing. The hardest question for me in the world is how are you? Cause that would terrify somebody. That is not on any given day. If I book something, if I whatever, on any given day, someone could say, how are you? And I can say, well, I'm experiencing extreme grief, extreme depression. I have suicidal ideation. Definitely not well. I'm trying to monitor my words as I speak to you. I certainly am having trouble getting a cup of coffee in the morning and I couldn't believe I actually got in the shower. But how are you doing? Do you know what I mean? Like it's, that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I, I have such a difficult time with lying or anything like that. It's so hard for me to answer that question. I think, I think that you, gosh, you brought up so many, so many good points right there. Yeah. I was just talking to a, a friend the other day and I asked him how he was doing and he told me how he was doing. And then he was like, oh, I think I said too much. And I said, yeah. you know what? I love that I asked you how you were doing and you told me because I think it's so in our culture, oh. it's standard, <laughs> it, but it is, it's so standard to be, how are you doing? I'm fine. Like I just do it all the time without even. Sure. We all do. And there's that thing, but again, like you have to protect, it's a thing we say, do we change the norm? Maybe. But that's another thing, too, is checking in with people, saying, how are you, is also a very, it's valuable thing. Because yeah. if people, you know, know that you are struggling at all, period, someone checking in is just huge. And that was the thing, too, I was going through all that, and I didn't get a lot of checking in or assuming, like, I was so close with my mother, like, so close, that I just couldn't believe. There were two people that came out of the woodwork who kind of really understood. One I hadn't talked to in years, and the other one I had just met. So it was just kind of amazing. And that's, again, just like you, it's a testament to people. But to just be technical real quick, that was the low I hit was such a low. And I'd had them before and I I have them more now. So those two traumatic experiences, I think, put the icing on the cake. And just so what I deal with now is is obviously worse than before, because now my brain is just forget it. My father died when I was 11. And there was different kinds of abuse and like, whatever, whatever. So there was this like, like architecture right yeah so you have the genetic disposition and predisposition and then you have like this architecture of trauma it's almost like i'm still recovering from that and i have and this is a huge key to to, to the therapeutic element like there's never going to be a cure 
but what do you do? Right. I have a therapist that I'm telling you, she, I can't even tell you, is one of the best, most helpful. I don't know where I would be or what I would do without her. She got me somehow through things enough. She's been there. She had to, she called once. I was suicidal. She was able to call. She helped me through that. You know, police have to show up once in a while to kind of do a check-in or whatever. So when that happens, when you are having uh, suicidal... Suicidal ideation? Yes. That's different. Yeah. So suicidal ideation is sort of something you, like for me, I have it on a daily basis, like I carry it with me, but it's just not something you're necessarily going to follow through or act on. So it's like, I have that set, like I have this, it goes along with the depression and like that kind of thing. Like it's something that's constantly there because it's just like you're living in this bubble of muck and you just... It's just, it's interesting. It's there. And that's, there's an actual term for it because it's constantly there. And so this therapist, she was the one who pegged it and nailed it after a couple of years. She was like, I think, I think you might be bipolar. And that's what, yeah. Type two. She brought it and put it together for you. She put it together. And that was when, and my aunt who, uh, she suggested Lamictal. I didn't, and that's the other thing. This country does not support or does not have a system to take care of people with mental illness. And that is why there's a, it's kind of like, yeah, we'll help, but there's like different countries, Australia, like whatever, it's like built into like the government laws and stuff. It's like, you can take a leave of absence if, you know, again, that's compassionate people. But that was when I hit the low after my mother died and I went to emergence to um, an urgent care to try to say, I just want to try Lamictal because my aunt suggested it for me, my mother's sister, for, for that particular thing that it helped her. And she used to work in a psychiatric office as a nurse. And I was sitting there in tears asking this doctor, this woman, like, I just want Lamictal. And she was like, well, I'm not really comfortable. I'm not a psychiatrist. Da, 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 da. And I'm like desperate, right? And she was like, well, let me go make a phone call. She called another doctor to see if it was okay. In the meantime, she wanted to offer me, she's like, well, I can give you uh, benzo, like, like Vicodin or something until you get to see a psychiatrist. And I'm like, like, what is that going to do? Like this, that's what you try to keep people from asking. Yes. Yes. And that too. Yes. So that was her response. I was asking for a, 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 a long-term mood stabilizer that I would be, and it just, that was this. So that's, that's what I'm saying about, you know, there's just a lack of sensitivity to, like depression is such a different thing and that people, you know, even doctors are just sort of unsure kind of thing that I have, I was saying I take a very conservative amount. My therapist was saying that she had another uh, patient client who takes a little bit of Adderall on days where if it does help to be able to go to work or, you know, a little bit of a, so it's like, it's interesting. People would never connect those two. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, um, sometimes for me, like I do have ADHD, but there's just these fascinating things that you start to pick up on, the things that can help. Like I had to figure out that sativa made me extra irritable. I had to figure out that looking back, like, ooh, those two probably exacerbated the symptoms at that point, which is why that happened. It sounds like it's definitely a fine balance of yeah, medication. Yeah, it's monitoring all the 
common. And it's, and it's always evolving, like you said. So Mm -hmm. when you were at a point when you were suicidal, going back to the discussion about the signals, was there a particular signal when you feel like my medication is not working as well as it should be? You're asking such good questions. Look at you. Um, yes, for me personally. So there was a point like last year for about a year, there was a certain um, what group that I was going to because Lamictal happens to be a controlled substance for some reason. But it was like a month to month basis. It was very expensive, even though I have insurance. So I've been trying to find someone else. So since, and this is maybe where we, since we can tie, I don't know, tie in the pandemic, I haven't been able to, I'll start to get a little bit more irritable. I'll start to, uh, and I know it. I'm like, I will have certain reactions to things that are completely and utter, now very clear to me, that's exactly a result of it. And so I'm like, oh, that wasn't natural. Okay, Uh uh-oh. Like, what do I need to, do I need to see somebody? And for about last six months or so, I haven't been able to see anybody to get an adjustment. And so I've been really like really dealing with the, because what it does is it takes the extremes of whatever and it kind of quasi brings it down to the middle or like normalizes it. So instead of me being like way low and like, even though it's so bipolar two isn't like way mania, it like can help a little bit with the irritability and like things like that. So when I start to get have these awful lows and then I cycle into this irritability and like, I'm like, Oh, I need an adjustment. Like it's very clear. It's like yeah. having a stuffy nose. Well, maybe it's not like having a stuffy nose, but like, it's the same for me. It's kind of the same. It's the same idea. And I'm just, but you don't just walk around telling people, Oh man, I need to get my meds adjustment. I feel really shitty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but it's <laughs> well, I really need that. Like, like, call. <laughs> yeah, man, I need that 25 million stuff, whatever they're going to do. And then you got to put it in someone else's hands and you got to explain to them how you're feeling. And So now knowing like in dealing with this pandemic that you need an adjustment, mm-hmm. do you have to just wait until you can see a doctor in person or? Right. So that's the thing with the controlled substance. Thankfully, my, which it took all this convincing to try to, for my primary care physician can write a prescription and send it in. It took a lot of convincing. Like your primary care physician is not trained at all in psychiatric care or writing prescriptions. So she was very tentative. At that point, I had, I couldn't go up to that clinic and it was also very expensive and I lost my job and everything. And so she was very tentative, but she wrote it for me. And if I go off of it for 24 hours, my poor brain, because all of a sudden you don't have that, those chemicals going in your system goes haywire. So I was like, no, no, I really, no, please. If you have any compassion at all, she's like, well, I'm not sure. And I'm like, please. And she's my doctor. And so it's, it's a struggle. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it shouldn't be like, this is so real. Like it should not be that difficult. And now I have to spend all this money for something that I, if you can't, it's one of those things too, right? You understand, like, if you can't, if people can't see it. Yeah. If people can't see it, they don't understand. Or relay. Yeah. Or relay the, the, the importance of. It's scary. Right. Um, okay. So just so I can be clear, uh, yeah. For the conversation. Your I hope I'm answering your question. No, no, you are. The, the okay. therapist that originally diagnosed you, you still see her, but she is not a psychiatrist. So she can't. There you go. Cry. Right. Okay. So she's a psychologist 
and she she figured it out like you would say that a psychiatrist should diagnose you she just knew she just is good and so with that you have to find a completely different doctor and the best treatment is to have two so you really need a psychologist like a therapist Therapist. you need a psychiatrist to prescribe meds and adjust them accordingly you want to have a good diet you want to exercise hopefully you don't want to drink or like you know and it's a all the things, it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be right. And it doesn't mean you're going to feel great all the time. And it doesn't mean that, you know, when you have a good day, or if you do at all, it's like this thing. Oh, people post on the Facebook group that it was just like, I had a good day. I can't believe I had a good day. And when a good day means that you kind of wanted to engage maybe in life or listen to a song. How often do you think you have good days out of a month? If I were to personally define a good day for me, Mm -hmm. I still want to know what it's like to wake up with any ounce of excitement, wanting to just, oh my gosh, I'm alive. I don't know. I don't know. What is your first thought normally when you wake up? (sighs) Just kind of like, oh my God, I got to... I got to do this. I have to do this. Because I committed to, I I decided that I'm gonna, I made that choice, you know. I remember being on Sunset Boulevard. I came back right after my mom's funeral that Monday, and I went right to acting class. And I remember at one point, because I was just like, I don't, I have, I was numb. And I just remember being on Sunset Boulevard and there's a building there, 9,800. It's always got blue numbers, which I, I love blue. And I just remember making a decision. I was like, well, I'm here. I might as well be here, you know? And so that's all it is. It's just like a ride. It's just like when people say, you know, how are you? Like the most I can say is I'm here because I just, I am. And if things happen, you know, that's great. But I don't, at this point, I also think I'm also just heartbroken. Just, I'm, I love my mom. I miss my mom. You know, that happened with the divorce. I think my brain, you know, contributes to it. But there's just not this, you know, I believe in healing. I believe in, in, in you know, learning and growing. And I just, and there's no, there's all these inspirational, I could have all the inspiration in the world. I read these memes and I'm like, because the, the, the fascinating thing is like, sometimes I have this, like, I want to, I'll get a, a, a moment of motivation, right? Or inspiration. But it's all of these other things. I can't move. I can't, I can't get up to do it. It's so, like this dichotomy. So does the motivation kind of feel like it feels like something you chase? Like it's there, you want it, but you can't quite reach it. Sure. I mean, and it's interesting, and that's a really good way to put it, but it's, even if it's there, like say it's actually there for a minute where you get excited about something and you want to figure it out. The amount of whiteboards I've gotten and, and day planners and whatever, whatever to kind of just with that kind of, I want to. Even if it's there, you want to, it's this, it's the waking up and how the fuck am I going to do this again? 
uh, at some point, I get up and I say, all right, well, I'll have a cup of coffee. And it's like I also need to take breaks in between everything. If I'm doing anything, I have to go sit down for like 10 minutes because I can't. To it's uh set your mind to kind of like yeah. organize mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to kind of you know readjust like if i feel anxious or like anything like that it's also it's ex it's exhausting like it's just it tires you out because you're doing two things at, at least for me i feel like i'm just constantly doing two things at once like i have all of this stuff i'm feeling and going on just sitting here speaking with you and i'm so grateful that i'm able to you know, talk. Sometimes it's so bad if I'm in a real low, I even have problems putting words together, or focusing, or, which is all part of it. I mean, it's all, you know, written down and I check all the checky boxes and I'm like, yeah, that's all, that's all a thing. So, which is comforting and validating for me, but yeah. A, and just sharing with you, cause we're in class together. It's, I just can't believe what I would feel when I'm sitting there or like I go or you know, it's just, I can't, it's this filter. It's this, it's this fog and this filter. And it's like, if there's been a few times and it's so significant in my life where I've actually had this minuscule moment of insight, like it, it'll just lift for like two seconds. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. This is what it's like. And then it just like, and I can't remember, I think it might have been once or twice, right when I maybe started a medication, that I would just suddenly have this moment of, this is how people just, just are? Like, it's just a thing? Like, and I'm not saying that people don't suffer. I'm not saying that like, people don't suffer with this, these things that people don't, everything's difficult. I don't judge or measure. I don't do a lot of measuring. If what, whatever's hard for someone is not, I don't compare. You know, I don't think it's helpful to anybody to be like, yeah, well, this is, that must be hard for you. Like, end of story. Um, so I don't know what the real glimpse is. Like, I can't, I don't want to put myself in shoes that I don't understand. But I remember, I know that I've had these moments where I'd be like, this is what it's like to not probably wake up and go, oh my God, I have to fucking do this again. And I just, I hurt all the time in my chest. It just hurt. And I, I think that's a lot of things. I know there's, you know, depression, my brain's doing whatever, but I'm, you know, still in a state of grief for a lot of things and like life and like whatever that happened. But at the same time, I know, I know that there's something in addition that's not right. That just has to be managed in a way that I just hope doesn't get worse and I can stay on top of it and that the system will somehow maybe catch up to itself so that I don't have to fight as hard to do the things that I need to do to, to help me and make me better. Yeah. Which is like getting a pill. I mean, to deal with a daily fight and then on top of that have to deal with, it, it, it's like two fights, like fighting for the fight. Like the, the, daily, the daily work of wake, like you said, of waking up and moving through the day with as much grace and presence and you know being there for yourself trying to be there for other people that is the first fight and then it sounds like the second fight is continuing to have to advocate yourself and having to also have some sort of foresight of how things might go because like you said if there's a lapse that literally can impact your future 
It can impact your existence. Yes, yes and it, do, it does. In the head. That's know, brilliant. You're brilliant. Fight for the fight. That's, that's the thing, man. That was brilliant. You're so insightful. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. But like, like, but but you're taking the information. You're like listening, but you're processing it in such a astute, validating, compassionate, but like deep way. I know that's who you are, but like, I mean, I don't know, man. You're. I feel so like. I'm smiling. Like, yeah, I can't, it's just it's amazing to have. It's just, it's, it's like sunshine. It's just, I appreciate it. But yes, it's fighting for the, you're right. So it's like, when I'm saying hello to someone or doing what I can, cause I want to be present for them. You know, if anyone really had any idea what's going on and with me, when I'm standing in front of them or especially on certain days or I'm, you know, and I'm, and I'm being, how are you? And I'm just really, it's so much, it's easier too. I mean, and it's like, I don't have to, you know, and it's part of, right, why we become even more compassionate, right, and Absolutely. sympathetic, I feel, is what, what we go through. If we go through enough, then there's nothing that anybody can say or do that's going to scare us or scare us away. Or just, it's so much easier to be like, yeah, here you are, or, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm wondering, because... Like you said, when when you had um, when your mother passed and you were dealing with the breakup and you had these two souls that that came out of nowhere in your life and held you up and and supported you, how can someone be there for you in your darkest hour? Wow, that's a good question, and that's that's a. And uh, that's an irony, too, is that when that's happening, you don't, at least for me, and I know a lot of people don't reach out at all. If I do, it's maybe to my therapist. Again, for me, the, the simplicity, just the simplicity of, of acceptance and just acknowledgement of that you're really going through something someone who knows me really well, I'll tell, I'll say I've been having the most difficult, rough last few days, like awful. It's funny because she knows me and she knows I deal with this, but it's like a, oh yeah, you deal with this and there's no, I'm so sorry. You know, it's just a, oh man, like there's no real. So again, it's maybe just the, so what I, and maybe it's just because it's such a rare thing or just, just someone saying that I'm so sorry, it's hard. Like, and I think that that, and that doesn't, of course, there's a million gazillion things, people just showing that they care and bringing, you know, just a sandwich or something. Do you know what I mean? Like there's acts of service, acts of care, like all of that. There's so many different ways people, the best thing you could, I think, do with someone with depression is wrap them up in a blanket and hold them. I think that is like off the charts. Amazing. Cause they're just there feeling it. And that's that, but right now, uh, if there's a, if there's a, you know, just, and plus they know what my mom, a lot of my family members, you know, they saw what my mom went through and da, 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 and it's just, so that, you know, it is what it is, Lindsay, you, you know, you're dealing with this and they're very compassionate. And, um, but yeah, just language too, just, that must be hard. I don't do anything. I just lay there now. I'm just kind of used I'm used to it, unfortunately. And I know, at least I can say, I know where it's coming from. 
And I also know I'm hurt. I know there's two things going on at least. I know that I'm hurt and I know that there's all that going on and that I was triggered, you know, by all that stuff like way off the charts. But I, it's such a good question. I don't know. I haven't thought about it much because I don't really know if I've experienced that level of presence of it doesn't scare anybody or it doesn't what do I do or you know again it's like me doing work for them too not right. work but like making sure that they're not too uncomfortable so yeah, you don't I, I think I've gone to work on those days too right and you don't say if you you don't say well I had to do everything in my, I was crying right before I walked in the door. You know what I mean? Right. I, I think that's. I'm going to think about that question though. That was a good one. It's so hard you. because, you know, we don't want, you know, our friends, our family, we don't want them to go through that alone. We don't want to have that moment of, oh, you know, they committed suicide or, oh, they're having yeah and i i i missed it i missed the signs yeah and like you said it's so interesting how you protect the people around you Mm -hmm. in a sense because you know like you go to work you put on a brave face you know you cry and then you walk in and you're fine and i think what i'm getting is that i wish there was an answer unfortunately there isn't there just isn't like there isn't there kind of is. There kind of is. I think for people who can't, when there's things we can't relate, same thing. Can't just can't relate to them. So we're always like, "Am I going to do the wrong thing?" Or I'm unsure. Or again, and I will say, when you know, folks, I miss the signs. Whatever, whatever. Don't ever blame yourself. Like that's you know, that's there's a, there's a journey. There's a pain. There's a whatever. Um, don't think that you know you not say you offering. I'm here for you. You know, that's a, that's a beautiful, it's those simple things. I think that I, I guess what I'm getting at is to never underestimate what a simple gesture or word could do to save someone. Just saying, I must be hard for you. Like we have no idea those simple, loving, validating things that we can say to somebody can make all the difference. So it's not even about, to me, that's the answer. To me, I think that that's, that's a huge you're doing a lot when you do that. A lot. I love that. And we also have to remember that we, we can't always take on the full responsibility or someone's experience. It's just being present. That's why I say you can wrap someone up in a blanket and just hold them. Like that's the kind of presence that that's a, that's a, just a beautiful kind of presence. I think what you have taught me so far is that when we are young adults and when we're kids, and we're still finding ourselves in the world. Everything is very black and white. Yeah. And I feel like uh, in hearing your story, you know, with this podcast also, I, that's why I like to start from a particular place, like that moment when you remembered that particular instance to kind of get a through line. But uh, what's so interesting about your story is that we often want mental illness to be black and white. Yeah. And it's not. It's very yeah. it's a very gray area with a yeah. lot of intersections and like you said you're still learning. You have you're you're dealing with various diagnoses and you are still in the midst of understanding all of them. And 
Yeah. I think what's so interesting is that it really highlights like just science and our brain chemistry and mental health. Those are all evolving because they, they are, it's science. It's all evolving. And the more we find, the more we know, mm-hmm. um, and it changes the amount of gray that's, that's in this area. I think if people think of it like that, you know, in that world, you're stepping into a gray area and in gray areas, you require a lot more understanding because I feel like gray area is evolving. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good, I think that there's a chunk of that in there that, you know, I think that absolutely, you're right. I think that can apply to anybody, right? Because everybody has their own specific journey and whatever we don't know. I mean, we're just going to validate whatever they say. And it's not up to us to, to say, well, they don't feel that way. Or that's not what it is. Like, it is what it is. Feelings just are. So the interesting thing with it, too, when you say science and all that stuff, because it's a part of it, and it's like any other physical, because it's also physical. Like, the brain is a very complex organ. And there's actual, you know, there's pain in things that can actually come from it. People have physical, you know, stuff as a result. That being said, just like everyone is sort of has their own fingerprint, everyone's going to, I think the gray area when there is one for anybody is just kind of what their daily experience is. And I take into account what also could be impacting me in terms of my daily life. But it's interesting also, though, how there's certain literal boxes that can be checked. I mean, you got to get a diagnosis some way. So things have to fall into a certain category in order for that to be even a thing. But yes, there's all kinds of different mental illnesses and stuff like that. And even the term mental illness is like, ugh. like it's just like, ugh. like people, are, you know, can't, whatever people picture when you say that, you know, being a, someone, and God bless, because that's a huge part of our homeless uh, issue is a lack of mental health care, you know, in our country. And so, yeah, there's there's a great there's a great I mean every day is kind of a gray area for me in my experience. I, I think yeah, no, that that absolutely. And you yeah. made a great point talking about when you know when you are given a diagnosis, there are boxes you have to check off. Like do do you exhibit this? Do you exhibit that? Right. right. Um, but I think what is interesting is that how it is presented in that person could possibly mm. be different from another sure. there are there's, slightly, there's a slightly yes because there's a spectrum too in terms yes. of the disorder itself and so um, i think people think oh well all you know like until until i knew that you were bipolar two i honestly didn't know there were two there was a bipolar one and a bipolar two yeah um, so i think when people talk about it and there's they, a few other on the spectrum too the same. yeah and they tend yeah. to lump those all together and that that's a lack of education because you are sure of the the depth of mental illness and that makes it I think a little bit more gray when you are talking about it sure to other people I guess sure Um, I mean again it's a it's like a what you're saying you know it's kind of it's also like how did it come together you know the perfect storm what was my icing on the cake what was my you know what contributed to it like the gray area too is everyone's story and like how it can all come together and be triggered or not triggered or how does it, when or how does it rear its head for certain people? But yeah, there's also different, because there's different types too uh, as well. There's, 
different categories and diagnoses. And just because, you know, and like now that I'm thinking about it, just like with any other illness or experience um, or ailments per se, you check your boxes, but it's, it's kind of like coronavirus. Oh boy, does everyone experience that differently? You know what I mean? <laughs> so, oh, so that, area. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> anyway, okay, so your experience with it do you know the point of contact? Do you have an idea of how you I believe it? that I do, but I'm not 100% sure because it's not one of those things you can see. Right. It's ironic because I was working in a restaurant, but nobody I know got sick that, well, exhibited symptoms, I guess. Um, so I think I might have gotten it from just a one-on-one, -on -one, maybe friend or something that came over right before it started. And, you know, didn't, who knows, didn't wash their hands when they came in and we were sharing you know, snacks and stuff. That's, that's honestly where I thought I got it. Cause that, that friend was like a week later was kind of like, yeah, I had a little bit of chest tightness. And of course I was flat out on the floor. Like it was intense. How long did it take for the symptoms to really hit you? And what were your symptoms? So my onset, and again, you're talking checky boxes. Like I have pretty much every checky box, except it getting to a point where I needed to be on a ventilator. I started with severe, severe um, muscle cramping. It was looking back, it's very elusive and very evasive and unlike anything. Yeah, it's uh, elusive and evasive and you're just so it's like mild, moderate, severe. Like I had it pretty moderately. And I guess I, at the time, I was like, what is going on? Like all of a sudden I lost my ability to smell or taste to a degree with no stuffiness or congestion. Oh, wow. And I couldn't understand it. I was like sticking my nose in like coffee can't like not a thing. And I then I got to a point where I came out to the living room to look for something one day. I knew I was already sick in bed. And I just I had to lay down on the I couldn't stand up for 10 seconds. I couldn't put anything in the microwave. I couldn't whatever. Like the fatigue I lost 10 pounds in four days. Oof. It was, and then, and I had headache, and the, but the muscle cramping, the lack of taste and smell, the fatigue is often, I couldn't take a bath. And I had a few, and then I got to a point where I started to experience the shortness of breath. And one night I was laying in bed and I was like, so I'm having shortness of breath. Okay, like I can breathe, it's coming and going, whatever. And I started to, you know how sometimes you Google stuff and you're like, yeah. And any kind of shortness of breath whatsoever is recommended that you go get help or like you go get it checked out. So I was like, okay. And then of course, you know, I'm like, I got this man. And I got all these other things going on, right? In my head and stuff. But I'm just like, I got this man. I like cry and then I like put my shirt on and then I cry and then put my pants on. And I drove myself to the hospital. Oh my um, goodness. You drove yourself? Well, yeah. I don't know what else I was going to do. Okay, because that's and then you got insurance issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the middle of a I, pandemic, you got insurance issues. I mean, please. Anyway, could be worse. But still, no, no, you're right. Like, you're, you're, and, and that's horrific that you're sick and you are so worried about having to pay the bill for right. the ambulance <laughs> that you're like, right. I'm just gonna drive myself, even though I'm having a hard time breathing. Yeah, you got so, to the, yeah. to the and I had to pay for parking. <laughs> <laughs> on my way out so i had to test x-ray whatever whatever i had pneumonia it was like a result of everything but on the way out it'll be ten dollars i was like you gotta be lying to me. 
after all that, I got COVID-19 and you want me to pay you $10 for, all right. I won't mention the hospital because we don't want to, you know, have that trouble. But yes. like, really, like free parking. You got COVID, you get free parking. Yeah. That's yeah. all I got. Like, absolutely. No. It was funny. But yeah, no. So, but at that time they couldn't, she, the doctor was like, we can't test you. It was literally early on. I got it. I remember my symptoms starting on the 15th of March. It was like the day the restaurant shut down. Oh, um, you were like, yeah, right. like right then. So it had to be somebody I was in contact with. Um, but long story short, when I was at the hospital, she was like, we can't test you. And I was like, oh, that's okay. And she was like, that's very understanding. I, was like, well, <laughs> I mean, what about you? That's right. Um, so they, she had a chest ray, x-ray done on me. They came and did it. And right before she came back in, she got in full regalia. I heard her ask the nurses where the disposable um, stethoscopes and all those things. And she came in and she just had this look in her eyes and she had goggles on and like all this stuff that she didn't have on before the chest x-ray. And she said, before the x-ray, she was like, it sounds like you have it. But she came back in and she was just looking at me and she had this like, I wouldn't say terror, but just like this fear in her eyes. And she was looking at me and she was like, this is like, yeah, March 23rd, something like that. Right when it was all like, what's going on? She was like, we don't know what this is. She was like, you just, you need to stay home and you whatever, and you need to not be near people. And we just don't know. And I was just like looking in her eyes like, okay, like, okay. Like I wanted to comfort her. And she gave me uh, an antibiotic for the pneumonia, which is vi was viral, obviously. And it wasn't an infection, but she said, I heard that this may help. Right. And that was it. That was all I could have. I just, so Nick Cordero, when we talk about, so, you know, celebrity stuff with different things, mental illness and COVID, um, he literally got it right when I got it. And he's my, exactly my age. And he had his public journey, you know, because he's on Broadway um, with his wife and his newborn child. And I don't know why I went one way and he went the other, but, you know, he ended up passing three months later. It's just so sobering to me. Yeah. I don't know if I went and got early enough or if I did something. I don't know. You just don't know. And you really never know at this point. No. But looking back, I'm like, man, I had, it was, because it was so odd. But I, it was, I had it and I had it to a degree where I checked a lot of the checky boxes and I got, I don't know if I just got lucky or I don't know. I just, it's very sobering for me now seeing a lot of the things. And it took me, it was one of those things. There's, there's this woman who created this uh, group called the uh, long haulers or yeah, the long haulers. And because I was still having all these residual symptoms that a lot of people my age are having for months. It's, it was almost like just a few weeks ago where I started to really feel like I wasn't getting chest pain or heart palpitations. I was on a hike maybe three weeks ago and I had to turn around. Like it's months, it's months of, and you just, and that's the thing is we don't, nobody knows. So you're just like going along and like, oh, there's another person that feels that way. I feel better, but it'll be interesting to see whatever comes out about the long-term effects or like anything like that. And I will say, if we're gonna tie the two together, I remember when I first started coming down with the COVID, not knowing what was going on, I was like, what happened? What is wrong with me? My mental health went off the rails. And I know that that had something to my body probably just went completely to fighting this illness. And I don't know what happened, but my brain just, I started doing all the things as if I had never had treatment or whatever. I was like, who am I? Like, 
So it the, it just kind of went hand in hand, and I don't know. That's so crazy. It's so weird. So, so when you're given, like you were given the antibiotics by the doctor, did you still take your other medication for yeah. bipolar? So you're just, at this point, it's just like all hands on deck, taking That's everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. That Whatever, gotta this. right. I couldn't get through the antibiotic, but at the same time, it was almost like the med, it was like, but whatever was happening with my body, fighting this virus, or when you get sick, like apparently it's a whole, at least with that was a, in another layer that there was, I was able to just know that what my, my bipolar symptoms and all that just went, everything went haywire. It was like the computer just went cray cray. So how are you feeling now besides having to get the new prescription for, what is it called again? Look. Lamictal? Lamictal. Yeah. So I'm on a certain I'm on a certain dosage dose that was working for me pretty well like six, eight months ago. And I just know that I need like a little and that's another thing too is my mother had they call it treatment refractory, which means that whatever is helping, if at all, gets to a point where it just stops and you have to do something again or nothing's gonna help. And so I get nervous because I obviously, I'll get to a point where I'm like, this needs to be adjusted. And for me, it's like going up 25 milligrams, 25 milligrams, maybe 50 milligrams. There's people who are on the highest dosage and are okay and going to be okay, but you can't go any higher on that. There's people, it's another one of them gray area things. There's people who are on 200 milligrams who can ride that out. And I just happen to be someone who, where I noticed that, you know, six to eight months, maybe another 25 milligrams and it's hard and it's scary because I'm like, well, I don't want to run this out, you know, and there's other, there's other mood stabilizers that are, you know, coming out and like that kind of thing. But I truly believe, you know, I had never felt when I started it, it was a new feeling. It was different. I felt different. And I know that it's really helpful for me. Um, and this, that alone, like is, I, how do you get around that? How do you say, well, I took the pill and they feel really better. And then people are still like, yeah, well, pills, you know, it's, a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an unending thing. Sometimes you're never going to win and you can't, you can't change people. You can't, you can do what you can, but they, it's up to them if they are open or not, or if they want to know or learn or, you know, that's, that's up to us. But sometimes, and that's the other beautiful thing about just being present with someone is you don't have to do, you can think whatever, you don't have to have an opinion or share it. Yeah, you just say, you just say hey, I'm I here. hear you. I'm so sorry. That must be hard. Or like, whatever. It's much more helpful. <laughs> so every time that we connect or talk about this or we're present to someone, you're being present to yourself too. It's, uh, we constantly are, are, are engaged with each other. And so I just feel, yeah, I just feel, uh, it's liberating so for you to be present like this. And I really appreciate it. And so there's so many people. Well, I, I really, I, I just, I am so grateful for you doing this and being on this podcast and sharing your story because, you know, I just feel like it's important for people to, to allow their authenticity to glow. Yeah, girl. <laughs> And yeah. I'm, I'm so grateful to, to be, um, I, I'm just really grateful to you for doing this and for just me even being present to, to experience your words and to just experience your journey. And 
I have to say, like I said before, I'm a big fan of yours. Aww, um, and I want to say clearly that I see you. Hmm. I see I'm holding my, hold on. I was holding my phone with my two hands. Right there. <laughs> Namaste. Oh, I you. see you. And you. on that note, awkwardly moving into the ending. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I do you want to share your handles, where people can find you? Oh, sure. I, I see you too, by the way. <laughs> I wish we can spend the next two hours talking about you, because now I want to know <laughs> all about you. And clearly, if you need anything, if anybody needs anything, listen, I'm here. There is nothing that, you could sh that I won't be there for. There is nothing you could tell me, share with me, that would change anything or my view. I just, I just, I validate you now whatever it is so thank you that's yeah yeah it's i think it's hard sometimes too like you have to have compassion for people who just don't they haven't had the experience and they're not there for you we can't we can't get frustrated with them they're doing their best you know yes so given that and now that this is a thing and i thank you so much because i got to talk about like what <laughs> 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like this is, this is the stuff. Um, so that's big. And so, yes, I I'm here, I'm here for everybody. My Instagram, uh, is, uh, it's Lindsay L I N D S A Y underscore Corinne C O R Y N E. And if you just put in Lindsay C O R, it should pop up. Yeah. I'm starting to get more vocal about it. I do think it's important. I think it's funny that I had to ask permission from my managers, which that's me. I Facebook same, Lindsay Corinne. Are you on Twitter? I don't really, I don't, I am, but I don't really twit, tweet, Twitter, tweet, tweet. Um, <laughs> you twit. Sorry. I like the Golden Girls. It's a thing. What else? Yeah. I just, I'm really good at Instagram messenger. I'm good at, I'm mostly on Instagram. I want people to know that they can, the suicide prevention hotline, that there are support groups. Like I said, there's a Facebook group where I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even have to explain myself. I don't even have to introduce myself. I don't have to do anything. I just get it. Uh, it's pretty easy. And thankfully we have social media where we can like, do those things. So all, there's so many resources and things available. Like I said, books and everything. But I, as a person, whatever your experience is, whether it's mental illness, uh, whether you, you know, there's people with chronic migraines who feel like, People don't believe them. Your daily experience, like I said, if you dropped your sandwich on the floor, I get it. I'm here for you. There's no right or wrong. It's, <laughs> if it stinks, it stinks. If you don't feel good about it, you don't feel good about it. That's okay, man. Um, there's no right or wrong. Uh, but yes, but I'm starting to get more. I want to, I want to read more about it. I need to keep learning about it. I've spent, spent most of my time learning about me and how I react and respond to things. Um, but I want to understand more about it in general and the community and like, just, just educate, like you said, you're just like educating yourself. Um, so yeah, but I'm, I'm open. I'm not always like, I don't just like everybody else. We don't have all, all the answers, but well, you're trying, you're, you're, present. Trying you're trying, you know, you're trying to be, you get up somehow you just say, well, I'm going to fucking do it. Again. Yeah. That's what we all got to do for sure. Yeah, <laughs> had to throw that swear word in there. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. Wow. I mean, that conversation really, really, really makes you 
not only take a hard look inward, but also really take a look at the people in your lives more compassionately. Um, even the people that you don't know, you know, the people that just cross your path, you um, hopefully you will be able to look at them with a different filter, one that has more compassion and more gratitude and, you know, really just being open to what we call the gray area, because there's a lot out there, especially nowadays with COVID, people spending more time at home. It's hard to feel connected to people right now. It's really hard. And I feel like for me, in a way, the podcast was, a, you know, launching this right at the beginning of this was kind of my way to also feel connected to people and hopefully, you know, give people a lifeline and something to look forward to and to just really take in. So that is why I love this conversation because it really goes deep. And again, thank you to Lindsay for just sharing your life with us and all of the, the good, the bad and the ugly. And that's always a brave thing to do to just really take off the mask that we put on every day and show people who we really are. And I'm not going to tell you what to take away from it, but that's what I took away from it. And, you know, hopefully you were able to extract some gems of that too. Maybe you'll call up somebody you haven't talked to in a while and check up on them. I don't know. The world right now definitely needs more love and compassion. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay, for um, opening a window to your life for us. So if you are loving what you are hearing, I hope that if you haven't already, you click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, click subscribe, rate us, please give us a good rating. And, and just tell us how you feel. Anytime you give us a review, it just helps people find us in the algorithm. So I really, really, really encourage if you like what I'm doing to please do that. Just give a short review as well as click that subscribe button. You can also listen to us on Spotify. If you are a social media person and you want to just uh, shout out on Instagram on your stories or tweet me, I would love it. I would love for you to show me and the show some love. So feel free to reach out to me at Saudi Rashid on Instagram. Instagram or at that one blank friend on Twitter. You can also reach me at Saudi Rashid and uh, on Twitter is that one blank friend FR1. So you guys, I have a show coming up. I'm still nervous about it, but I'm feeling better. And I'll put the all the info in the show notes if you haven't heard about it already, um, which you probably have me talking about it the last couple of episodes. Uh, but it is Saturday, November 7th. It is streaming live. It is the first iteration of my solo show. It's a snippet called uh, Mama, which, yes, it's about motherhood and pregnancy and all that good stuff. So check it out. Click the link. It's live. It's streaming and you can watch it from anywhere and I hope you tune in so you guys have a great week I'll see you I'll hear from you or you'll hear from me yes that's what it is because you can't see me you'll hear from me next time so see ya